Section 18 of The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume 1A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sean Stipsky. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis, Volume 1A, Part 2, Chapter 8. Sovereignty. The term sovereign, or sovereignty, says Judge Story, is used in different senses, which often leads to a confusion of ideas, and sometimes to very mischievous and unfounded conclusions. Without any disrespect for Judge Story, or any disparagement of his great learning and ability, it may safely be added that he and his disciples have contributed not a little to the increase of this confusion of ideas, and the spread of these mischievous and unfounded conclusions. There is no good reason whatever why it should be used in different senses, or why there should be any confusion of ideas as to its meaning. Of all the terms employed in political science, it is one of the most definite and intelligible. The definition of it, given by that accurate and lucid publicist Burlamaqui, is simple and satisfactory, that sovereignty is a right of commanding in the last resort in civil society. The original seat of this sovereignty also declares to be in the people. But, he adds, when once the people have transferred their right to a sovereign, that is, a monarch, they cannot, without contradiction, be supposed to continue still masters of it. This is in strict accord with the theory of American republicanism, the peculiarity of which is that the people never do transfer their right of sovereignty, either in whole or in part. They only delegate to their governments the exercise of such of its functions as may be necessary, subject always to their own control, and to reassumption whenever such government fails to fulfill the purposes for which it was instituted. I think it has already been demonstrated that in this country the only political community, the only independent corporate unit through which the people can exercise their sovereignty, is the state. Minor communities, as those of counties, cities, and towns, are merely fractional subdivisions of the state, and these do not affect the evidence that there was not such a political community as the people of the United States in the aggregate. That the states were severally sovereign and independent when they were united under the Articles of Confederation is distinctly asserted in those articles, and is admitted even by the extreme partisans of consolidation. Of right, they are still sovereign, unless they have surrendered or been divested of their sovereignty, and those who deny the proposition have been vainly called upon to point out the process by which they have divested themselves, or have been divested of it, otherwise than by usurpation. Since Webster spoke, and Story wrote upon the subject, however, the sovereignty of the states has been vehemently denied, or explained away, as only a partial, imperfect, mutilated sovereignty. Paradoxical theories of divided sovereignty and delegated sovereignty have arisen to create that confusion of ideas and engender those mischievous and unfounded conclusions of which Judge Story speaks. Confounding the sovereign authority of the people with the delegated powers conferred by them upon their governments, we hear of a government of the United States sovereign within its sphere, and of state governments sovereign in their sphere of the surrender by the states of part of their sovereignty to the United States, and the like. 
now if there be any one great principle pervading the federal constitution the state constitution the writings of the fathers the whole american system as clearly as the sunlight pervades the solar system it is that no government is sovereign that all governments derive their powers from the people and exercise them in subjection to the will of the people not a will expressed in any irregular lawless tumultuary manner but the will of the organized political community expressed through authorized and legitimate channels the founders of the american republics never conferred nor intended to confer sovereignty upon either their state or federal governments if then the people of the states in forming a federal union surrendered or to use burlamaqui's term transferred or if they meant to surrender or transfer part of their sovereignty to whom is the transfer made not to the people of the united states in aggregate for there was no such people in existence and they did not create or constitute such a people by merger of themselves not to the federal government for they disclaimed as a fundamental principle the sovereignty of any government there was no such surrender no such transfer in whole or in part expressed or implied they retained and intended to retain their sovereignty in its integrity undivided and indivisible but indeed says mr motley the words sovereign and sovereignty are purely inapplicable to the american system in the declaration of independence the provinces declare themselves free and independent states but the men of those days knew that the word sovereign was a term of feudal origin when their connection with a time-honored feudal monarchy was abruptly severed the word sovereign had no meaning for us if this be true the men of those days had a very extraordinary way of expressing their conviction that the word had no meaning for us we have seen that in the very front of their articles of confederation they set forth the conspicuous declaration that each state retained its sovereignty freedom and independence massachusetts the state i believe of mr motley's nativity and citizenship in her original constitution drawn up by men of those days made this declaration the people inhabiting the territory formerly called the province of massachusetts bay do hereby solemnly and mutually agree with each other to form themselves into a free sovereign and independent body politic or state by the name of the commonwealth of massachusetts new hampshire in her constitution is revised in seventeen ninety two had identically the same declaration except as regards the name of the state and the word state instead of commonwealth mr madison one of the most distinguished of the men of that day and of the advocates of the constitution in a speech already once referred to in the virginia convention of seventeen eighty eight explained that we the people who were to establish the constitution were the people of thirteen sovereignties in the federalist he repeatedly employs the term as for example when he says do they the fundamental principles of the confederation require that in the establishment of the constitution the states should be regarded as distinct and independent sovereigns they are so regarded by the constitution proposed alexander hamilton another contemporary authority no less illustrious says in the federalist it is inherent in the nature of sovereignty not to be amenable to the suit of an individual without its consent this is the general sense and the general practice of mankind 
and the exemption as one of the attributes of sovereignty is now enjoyed by the government of every state in the union in the same paragraph he uses these terms sovereign and sovereignty repeatedly always with reference to the states respectively and severally benjamin franklin advocated equality of suffrage in the senate as a means of securing the sovereignties of the individual states james wilson of pennsylvania said sovereignty is in the people before they make a constitution and remains in them and described the people as being thirteen independent sovereignties governor morris who was as well as wilson one of the warmest advocates in the convention of a strong central government spoke of the constitution as a compact and of the parties to it as each enjoying sovereign power roger sherman of connecticut declared that the government was instituted by a number of sovereign states oliver ellsworth of the same state spoke of the states as sovereign bodies these were all eminent members of the convention which formed the constitution there was scarcely a statesman in that period who did not leave on record expressions of the same sort but why multiply citations it is very evident that the men of those days entertained very different views of sovereignty from those set forth by the new lights of our day far from considering it a term of feudal origin purely inapplicable to the american system they seem to have regarded it as a very vital principle in that system and of necessity belonging to the several states and i do not find a single instance in which they applied it to any political organization except the states their ideas were in entire accord with those of vettel who in his chapter of nations or sovereign states writes every nation that governs itself under what form soever without any dependence on foreign power is a sovereign state in another part of the same chapter he gives a lucid statement of the nature of a confederate republic such as ours was designed to be he says several sovereign and independent states may unite themselves together by a perpetual confederacy without each in particular ceasing to be a perfect state they will form together a federal republic the deliberations in common will offer no violence to the sovereignty of each member though they may in certain respects put some restraint on the exercise of it in virtue of voluntary engagements a person does not cease to be free and independent when he is obliged to fulfill the engagements into which he has very willingly entered what this celebrated author means here by a person is explained by a subsequent passage the law of nations is the law of sovereigns states free and independent are moral persons end of chapter eight reading by sean stipsky